Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop here alongside Michael Garrell and Adam Stewart. Welcome one and all to our Week 6 CFL Recap. We'll talk through uh, breaking news here tonight. Uh, the four games this weekend, fantastic weekend in the CFL. Lots of fun things to talk about. We'll give our players a week, update our power rankings, and of course, Take your comments and questions in our live chat throughout the night as well. Made possible by our presenting sponsor, Game Time TV. Learn more at facebook.com slash Game Time TV MB. Uh, hello to all those joining us in the chat. Hello to all of you listening after the fact as well. We are live on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and the Game Time TV YouTube page. Before I bring in the rest of our panel this evening, I do want to mention we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And as always, want to acknowledge that the Canadian Football Countdown is brought to you from Treaty 1 Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Ojukree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation, as well as from Treaty 4 Territory, traditional territory of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Métis Nation. Now let's bring in the rest of the panel here this evening. First up, it's the great Michael Garrell. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad, not too bad. Good evening, Ryan. Good evening, Adam. Uh, you know what? It's it's amazing. We had great games, and then we have the stuff off the field to talk about, uh, and on the field before the game to talk about, uh, as well as some other news. I uh, won't stray too far away from Matt, though, for my opening. Uh, it's great to be talking football for the next 90 minutes, though. Yes, for sure. And joining us here as well tonight, uh, the birthday boy, the great Adam Stewart is here gracing us with his presence on his birthday. We are so happy to have you here. Happy birthday, good sir. How are you doing tonight? Well, thank you very much, everyone. And uh, yeah, doing excellent. Had a great birthday uh, day. Uh, went and was working out in the field. So I mean, what could be better than that? Uh, getting some good fresh air and breaking some hay and bailing some hay and uh, carrying on there. Of course, I got to wear the birthday hat. Yes, cat, I've got to wear this birthday hat. And uh, yeah, ready to roll and uh, got to talk some CFL. Unfortunately, some good, some bad, some ugly, and just some downright dumb. <laughs> yes, and we'll get into all of that throughout the night here as well. Let's start off with a little bit of breaking news here on episode 158, our week six recap. And it starts off with some news we kind of all saw coming. The Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, hiring uh, former Montreal Alouettes head coach Kahari Jones as their new football operations consultant. Uh, Mike, what do you make of this? Well, first off, I think this is just a way to say we avoid the coach's tap in the rewording of this uh, position. Um, and also, too, I'm wondering, looking at this kind of sideways going, Oh, how long is that going to last? Because guaranteed there's some people over there looking over their shoulder because this consultant is pretty darn experienced. And I can't help but wonder, I know they won last week, but does this not just up the pressure over there quite substantially? Um, because I, I don't think you're bringing in a guy of this caliber just to sit on the sideline and consult. Um, to me, this is a warning shot 101, but if things don't change and in a hurry, this football operations consultant will be no more, and he might find himself in an OC type of role 
because I think you and all of us would agree uh, the Heat has been on Tommy Condell this year uh, as OC. To me, I'm only buying part of this story, and that's with Kahari Jones is uh, in Hamilton once again. Do I believe this football operations consultant? Give it two weeks. You know, I, I, I kind of disagree with that a little bit. I think that uh, uh, Orlando Steinauer is the guy that's going to make your decision here still uh, in Hamilton. I mean, let's face it. We know who Hamilton's playing this week as well. Just uh, happens to be the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, convenient enough. So having a guy like Kahari Jones, who's a quarterback guy who maybe can get back over to Dane Evans and get him turned around is just in a no-nonsense uh, great move by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. To me, I really like it because, again, this guy here was an old quarterback. Like I said, he, he knows what the CFL is all about. He's got some of his old team back in the day. He used to run through walls for this guy. And if he can get some respect and like that in Hamilton – especially with Dane Evans and get him to maybe be the voice between Dane Evans, uh, Tommy Condell and Orlando Steinauer. I think that you've got a really good combination there. I'll be, I'll be honest. I I'm looking at Hamilton and thinking, Jesus might be the, the point of the season where this turns everything around uh, just because of this one signing. And it's not even a player. It's just another uh, consultant, right? Yeah, I really like what you said there because I kind of, you know, early season felt like Hamilton was one of those teams that was a lot better on paper than they've been performing. And maybe, you know, the input of a guy like Kahari Jones is what they need. And also is, you know, uh, he's the type of guy where I think he flourishes more in a role like this than when he has the full responsibilities of head coach. I see a lot of similarities to Paul Apolise. I don't think Paul Apolise is an excellent head coach. I think he's a great offensive mind, but we've seen that, you know, Apolise, Jason Maz, Kahari Jones, maybe, where, you know, good offensive minds at times, but maybe too much of a role uh, has them in over their heads uh, at that position there. And it ends up, you know, leading to one thing or another. So uh, I like this as a good fit. Yeah. Football operations consultant, bit of an interesting title uh, there, you know, maybe coming up with a, uh, a different role for him there. I like kind of what Mike was thinking about. Maybe, you know, he transitions into an offensive coordinator role here at some point. Uh, I think we, we could say a lot about how we were not happy with Tommy Condell's play calling through the first couple of weeks, the lack of run game by the Ticats. Well, Kahari Jones comes from a system in Montreal that has been, you know, decently well with the run game with the likes of William Stanback and such. So, I think that's a breath of fresh air for the team to bring him in, and I'm just excited. Kahari Jones, I think he's a great dude, uh, and I'm excited to have him back here uh, in a CFL job here in short order. The other piece of news we uh, we have here that just came out today, uh, still the developing story. We'll touch on this more on our preview show Wednesday night. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders with a bit of a COVID outbreak, it seems here. Uh, I believe a couple of players' personnel missing uh they they canceled practice today i believe uh as a precaution am i correct on that guys yeah they canceled i think uh, after a little bit they canceled practice today it will be canceled for tomorrow uh wednesday they are hoping to be hitting the field again uh, i guess depending on how many guys have covid uh there i don't believe there's the cfl i think has some restrictions in that though so be very interesting to see what happens here in the next 48 hours in riderville 
yeah, I, I think we'll uh, we'll continue to monitor that one as it develops. Hard to talk too much about it because we don't know the extent at this point, right? So hopefully we will have some more clarity on what that means for the Riders, what it means for the CFL by Wednesday night's show. Uh, should we get into recapping the games from this week? Because they were a lot of fun. Uh, Mike, want to take us through the uh, the first game of the week here? Yeah, Thursday night football was quite a tale of two halves, depending on who you were cheering for. If you were like me, if it left your TV when you thought the game was over, you came back to quite a surprise, such as what I was able to do. Uh, but again, uh, CFL is notorious for having games like these. Uh, the first game of the week on Thursday night football saw the Montreal Alouettes blow a major second half lead to the Edmonton Alts and Taylor Cornelius and company, uh, 32 to 31. Um, story in this one for me, guys, you're just right off the hop, and we can kind of get into this. Uh, it's a discipline situation for Montreal. Uh, four or five penalties of the pass interference variety. I think over 100 yards of pass interference. Uh, penalties directed particularly in Kenny Lawler's direction. Um, boy, just when you think the Alouettes have been in control, uh, the 18-wheeler skids off the road, and Edmonton, as a result, benefits. Um, didn't go away, kept themselves in the game here, but boys, maybe to start, where do we, what do we think about this from a Montreal perspective? Uh, everything kind of coinciding with the debut or the, I guess, re-debut of uh, general manager Danny Machulcha's current interim head coach, Noel Forp, uh, defensively, um, it didn't seem to solve a lot of problems uh, in the first game. If you felt, at least I felt, that a lot of the same problems were still rearing their ugly head. Uh, but it strikes me that there's going to have to be work to be done uh, to fix the problem here. But, Adam, what did you think of this from a Montreal standpoint? Uh, like, to me, there was games when you're up. Whoops, as we seem to have lost Adam there momentarily. Uh, so I'll throw this out to Ryan. Quickly uh, there, Adam, while you did your signal reconnected. It's some feat to blow a lead such as what the Montreal Alouettes did, such as, and I don't mean to disparage anything that Edmonton did, but to me this strikes me more of the way Montreal lost versus the way Edmonton won. And I just, Ryan, a thought, where does uh, Montreal go from here? Well, this, you know, this really was just sweet justice, it felt like, for Danny Machocha, who... Canned Kahari Jones. Uh, we don't know for sure the reason. You know, it seemed like it was maybe a bit of premeditated on uh, him wanting to, you know, move into that role. But probably the discipline, especially that last game for the Alouettes, played a lot into the uh, into the reason that Kahari Jones was let go. Seems like they lost things on the bed. Well, the discipline was trash in this game for the Alouettes. We're talking 13 penalties for 193 yards. And, yeah, you want to talk about, uh, you know, game-turning plays. Kenny Lawler was the leading receiver for the for the Elks this week. Seven catches on 13 targets. You might say, 
yeah, that's not great. He's only catching 50%. Well, that's because he was being hauled down on every other play there. I think there were like four or five pass interference calls against Wesley Sutton, who was covering Kenny Lawler here. There was no discipline from the Alouettes. It allowed Edmonton to get into good field position and allowed them to come back into this game. And sure, yeah, it's, it's you know, game number one here for Machocha as head coach uh, here with the Alouettes. And can they build off of this? Sure. But uh, certainly it's not looking like a good start here for him in his reign here with Montreal. Uh, a game they really should have won here. You know, it was... Uh, not just not a good situation to blow this one uh, in the second half the way they did. And uh, well, uh, like I, like I've said all along, the East division continuing to find ways to lose football games in an increasingly dumb way. Uh, Adam, what do you think here of uh, Montreal's discipline and uh, just where they go from here? You know, I'm sure I've probably heard that from a few people that that's why Kahari Jones was fired was discipline. 193 yards is not disciplined. I don't care what you say. If you're going to come in and you're going to lay down the law and you're going to be disciplining players, uh, start doing it because 193 yards is not acceptable to anybody. You're giving a guy essentially two free touchdowns almost every time uh, when you're playing like this. So Montreal needs to solve that discipline issue immediately. Uh, And most of that, you're right, is on defense. Pass interference uh, quite a few times. And Edmonton just took advantage of what they gave them. I mean, they didn't really do anything fancy. Uh, Taylor Cornelius, I think, had a touchdown in the pick. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Kai Loxley got a few rushing touchdowns. Yeah, we know, Ryan. Uh, we'll get to that later on. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'm just saying, it's if, if Montreal is giving that much up, they're going to be in big trouble. And especially against a team like the Edmonton Elks where – uh, you really don't have to give them anything. Uh, they are okay, and they will still capitalize when they get the advantage like that. So to me, Montreal just kind of really lined up, took the uh, old uh, the old BB gun and took a shot at their foot, essentially, the whole game. And like I said, Edmonton didn't have to really do a whole lot, but they sure capitalized when they had the chance. The other thing also that I really don't like out of Montreal is that their offensive uh, receiving core – Still has got one piece in it. It's very easy to uh, uh, cover one guy like Eugene Lewis. I mean, yes, it's Eugene Lewis, but when you can double team him because Jake Winicky again, had a poor game and a very poor outing, uh, when you're looking at other players on the uh, receiving core, uh, Reggie White was your next highest receiver of 56 yards. Uh, Herji Mayala, he, I mean, he was expected to do a whole lot, only 20 yards this whole game. So Montreal has got to get that uh, passing game going a little bit. And again, Trevor Harris, he's starting to turn back into the old Trevor Harris a little bit. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. So if you're giving a guy an interception, again, you're giving short fields up. And it's just not acceptable for the Montreal Alouettes. Mike? I just want to jump in here real quick. Uh, you mentioned Jake Winicky. I pulled up his stats. This is mind-blowing. Because last year we were looking at nine touchdowns in not the first nine games of the year or something like that. We're six weeks into the season. He has seven receptions for 114 yards, zero touchdowns. Where the heck is Jake Winicky and what happened to him is what I want to know here for Montreal. And uh, it's just one of the parts Hussey's Huddle in our YouTube chat says, uh, incredibly frustrating team to watch this year. 
Yeah, I agree uh, on that here with the Alouettes. Uh, but as uh, Chris in the YouTube chat says, uh, does not really matter because, uh, well, three wins in the East and you're in first place right now. So still time for Montreal to turn this around, uh, Mike. Yeah, it, it's interesting, guys. I, I, I don't – I confer Montreal just quickly before we get to Amazon. I, I think this is the perfect way to surmise what the Montreal Alouettes are. They're a box of chocolates. And you reach in, and you grab one, and you don't know what's going to come out, and you're either really disappointed by by virtue of pulling out your favorite chocolate, or you're really fired up, but you pulled out your your favorite chocolate, or you're disappointed with what you pulled out. I, I think that's the roller coaster that Montreal and their fans are on right now. And I, I think if there's a team that is kind of, dumbfounded by the way they were playing based on some of the results. This is an underachieving football team, but I think simply by fixing their discipline will be a lot better. Uh, quickly touching on on the Edmonton side of things, uh, Taylor Cornelius gets his first start of the season. Uh, I think he was 1-7 as a starter last year. I think that's uh, on the, uh, in the in the pregame. Uh, while he's 1-0, and um, did we see something from Cornelius that suggests that he could take this role long-term in the form? But you know what? Yes, he he wasn't your quarterback that threw for 450 yards and five touchdowns, but he kept his team in the game and didn't necessarily kill any rallies, um, he kind of really managed the game. Uh, I fought extremely well. Uh, maybe that's something what we we see from him that's kind of new this year, but maybe wasn't there last year. But we'll start with you, Adam, on this one. What do you make of Taylor Cornelius? Um, obviously a big test this week uh, with the Blue Bombers coming to town. But Given what I think the expectations were for Taylor, Taylor Cornelius, which nobody knew what really to expect, you know, this is the dive that certainly didn't hurt his chances to at least suggest to management that he deserves a spot on future depth charts, correct? I'll disagree with you, Mike. I think that the guy there had, well, and yes and no, I guess I should say. Uh, 230 yards is not going to cut it in the CFL, essentially. However, that being said, Montreal, when you have a team that's aiming a gun at their own foot, you probably are going to look okay. To me, uh, Taylor Cornelius, again, one pick, one uh, touchdown, did okay. Uh, I know that they're doing some lots of little gadget things uh, with Kai Loxley getting ro- rotated in once every so often. But uh, to me... You've got the receiving core. I don't think you have the offensive line yet for Edmonton. And uh, you definitely still don't have really a great, solid number one quarterback. Uh, He didn't impress me as much as I thought he would have, uh, to be honest. But uh, again, he's got a good challenge this week. If if somehow he can pull off the uh, stun the world and take out the Blue Bombers this week, I'll maybe give him a little more credit than I think I'm giving him right now. Uh, That being said... Uh, if you take a look at the transaction sheet this week, looks like Edmonton has brought another quarterback in. 
uh, to possibly uh, compete for a spot. And let's face it, by the way, Chris Jones works. That guy might just start this week. Uh, Ryan? Yeah, if we want to continue the snack amount, uh, analogies, Mike said the Alouettes are uh, a box of chocolates. Uh, the Elks are your party mix popcorn or your party mix snack mix or whatever, because it's truly a party. It's truly you never know what you're going to get out of them, uh, but it's fun to watch regardless of how it goes. And, uh, yeah, who knows who the quarterback is going forward. You know, Taylor Cornelius impressed me more to this week than he did most games last season. I'll give him that. I, I think he showed composure. He showed, you know, his ability to move out of the pocket, make some throws on the run, uh, you know, had a couple really great drives there, you know, led them to a game win. It led them to a late game comeback there. That being said, am I impressed enough with Taylor Cornelius that I think the Elks are fine running him as the starting quarterback the rest of the season? At this point, no, because I don't think Edmonton comes close to winning this game if Montreal doesn't take 193 yards worth of penalties. Now, granted, Kenny Lawler probably catches a few more of those balls if he's not being interfered with along the way. But Cornelius played good. He got the win. Kudos to him for that. Kudos to the Elks in general for getting the win this week. You know, it's a dogfight in the West Division. And yeah, Edmonton's at the basement of it. But they're trying their best to hang in here. Uh, and they pick up their second win uh, here for Edmonton. So uh, kudos to them on that one. But I, I want to see more consistency moving forward. I want to see a game where, yeah, the offense just takes charge here uh, by their own accord and not by the, the penalty flags necessarily out there on the field. Quickly, guys, let's move to our second game of the week, the team picking up their sixth win of the season in another battle of unbeaten for the second straight week. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers defeat the Calgary Stampeders 26-19 in a game that I think that could only be described as wild. Um, you know, Demario Houston with the interception in the end zone during the old kind of reverse to what happened in Toronto. Um, but such is pretty good when you have a ball hawking defense that always goes for the football, uh, regardless of where it's played. Um, this is, was the Bombers' third game, I think, in 11 days or 12 days. Uh, the Monday in Toronto, Saturday in BC, then turn around and come home. Uh, they win all three games, which is just remarkable. Uh, as Chris says in our chat, the last time the Bombers were 6 0 uh, was back in 1960, uh, which is just quite a remarkable feat. Uh, I think I also read that Jack Palos has yet to lose a home game. Uh, which is even more remarkable. Uh, the one meaningful game that he did lose uh, was in Toronto. So, and the other two games he didn't play. So, but what do we make of this? And what did we maybe learn about both teams here? And to avoid, I guess, being homers, we'll start talking about the Calgary Stampeders. Um, you know, you look at Bo Levi Mitchell's statistics, Ryan. And it's not, you know, it's great, but I think it left a lot to be desired from the guys that wear the mitts and are supposed to catch the balls. Um, they had a case of the dropsies, Ryan. Yeah, it was a rough night for Stampeders receivers, and you could tell Bo was getting a little bit frustrated back there. 
And why wouldn't he be? He completed 42.9% of his passes. Like, this is a guy that we had been talking about as a resurgence for the past couple of weeks. And now Bo, you know, had a regression game. And I don't think a lot of it was his fault. I think he played decent. He had some bad throws here and there. Um, But you certainly can't fault him when receivers are dropping passes, when two receivers are going for the same pass on a key play of the game and colliding with one another. When you think one of your receivers has the game-winning or game-tying touchdown in his midst in the final minute of the game and he doesn't survive the fall and it turns into an interception. Like that, that interception's not Bo's fault at all. Well, no. Um, yeah, it was a rough night for the receivers uh, not being able to hang on for the catch. You look at Kamar Jordan. He himself has admitted one catch, seven targets. Real rough game for Kamar Jordan in this one. I think just also, you know, a tale of two sides with the special teams for Calgary. Special teams kept them in this. They played great on special teams, but they also had that, you know, roughing the kicker penalty that uh, extended a Bombers drive. They had a kick return touchdown by Peyton Logan that was called back due to a penalty. So it was a case of the dropsies. It was a case of the uh, unfortunate time penalties. They didn't take quite as many penalties as we just talked about with Montreal, but they were timely ones, they were costly ones, and unfortunately it hurt Calgary in this game. What did you make of the Stampeders here, Adam? Yeah, I think the really big piece was, again, Kamar Jordan, I think, just wanted to walk back into the locker room and never come out again for for that game. I mean, let's face it, the guy just had a terrible game, and it's not a thing on Bully by Mitchell. It's just your receivers, even Malik Henry, uh, 50% of his passes he only caught this week. And if he would have made a few of those other ones, again, yes, there was the one touchdown one. I think it was uh, Bagleton that ran it square into him. Uh, that could have been a touchdown right there. And uh, who knows what we're talking about. The other thing also is you got to give real big credit, though, to Peyton Logan. Uh, the guy there can return footballs. Dangerous, dangerous uh, coming out of the backfield. And let's face it, he keeps this up. I would like to see him maybe a couple option plays uh, coming out of the backfield just to see what would happen uh, and give Kadeem Carey maybe a little bit of a rest. Kadeem Carey, again, had a good game, 110 yards against a very stout uh, Winnipeg defensive line. Uh, overall, Calgary didn't have a bad game, but it was those costly penalties, like you just said, Ryan. Uh, when you give up a touchdown on a return, that takes a lot of wind out of a lot of sails. Uh, that one, and again, there's a few other penalties in there that you looked at and you said, well, wasn't the right time to take penalties. I think there were eight for 70 in penalties this week, uh, which is a little much. But again, it was more of the time of the penalties than it was the actual penalty. So, Mike? I, I just want to, you know, you touched on uh, giving Kadeem Carey a bit of a break there, Adam. Here's where you shouldn't give Kadeem Carey a bit of a break. And we want to talk about misplays here for Calgary. Do not give Kadeem Carey a break near the goal line when he was running all over the Bombers' defense for that entire quarter. This was the biggest thing to me. You know, you can pinpoint a couple of different ways Calgary lost this game. The officiating, I know there's been a lot of questions in Calgary about the officiating in this game. I don't agree with a lot of the calls either. Do I think that's the sole reason they lost the game? Heck no. I think there was the things we've mentioned, and I think there was some specific play calling you're talking about, what, second and two from the two-yard line. You put your backup QB there in Tommy Stevens, and you have him throw a pass that goes incomplete. Then on third down, you decide to go for it, which 
We could debate whether that was the right idea. I liked going for it on third down, but I did not like the play they called to have Bo Levi Mitchell run, line up in the shotgun and throw a pass there. Now, probably it ends up working if there's not miscommunication between the receivers. But how do you not, A, on second down, go for a one plunge with the quarterback, either get it in and try it again or try it again on third down, or give Kadeem Carey the ball in either of those plays when he's been so successful you know, for such an offensive mind and Dave Dickinson and, and, you know, his team there, I was mind blown by those decisions and it was shocking. It came back to hurt them, Mike. And that, that I, to me, that's why Calgary lost this game. And, you know, actually, I was just going to throw it in there, Mike. Uh, Hussey's huddle throw this in that says his take is that both Calgary and Winnipeg are in a class of their own, aside from the drops. I think that the quality of play from both of these teams was phenomenal. It was. It, it was a great game played by two great teams. Uh, but Ryan does have a point. This is probably the second game that we're going to talk about, or first game out of two at least, that we're going to talk about uh, Trey's theory a little bit. Run the football. Uh, when you're down at the end of the game or when you are on the two-yard line or one-yard line, hand the ball off when you got a guy like Kadeem Carey. I mean, it's not rocket science. Uh, Winnipeg, on the other hand, I think we're going to be talking about them pretty soon, and I don't know what to say about that run game. Mike? Yeah, before I do, I, I just, like, I'm trying to rationalize offensive coordinators, right? Because sometimes the decision seems so easy, but it's almost too easy, and you're, you're hoping and you're probably thinking that they know it's coming, and you're trying to cross them up. but to me, that doesn't exist, guys. Like, if it's working and you see you've got the defense on skates, uh, continue to, you know, take it to them. Uh, Winnipeg probably said thank you very much for throwing the ball because they clearly had no answers for Tadeem Carey on that drive, uh, particularly in that quarter. But it's just befuddling to me, guys, how coordinators outsmart themselves. and. Sometimes I wonder if the decision is a little bit too easy that they outthink themselves, right? I mean, I, I keep coming back to Marshawn Lynch on the goal line, right? It's too obvious to run it in, so let's try to catch them off guard, right? And and that's that's kind of, you know, sure it worked, but yeah, it's... And, and then there's the other side of it too, right? You want to go down, but if you're not going to get in the end zone, you're going to go down with your best player giving it a chance before you die. I've, I think there's that side of the argument too, but hey, if you don't get in, your best player tried his best uh, to, to get in the end zone. We'll, we'll never know. We'll never know what the circumstance is behind, behind uh, certain plays uh, as well. Um, and it sounds like I rattled uh, some people's chains in the comments. Uh, with with my Seahawks uh, uh, comment, but advanced apologies uh, there, Chris. I didn't mean to stir up uh, bad memories. Uh, that being said, uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to me, and I, if I could just play the guitar for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and just marvel at what they've done the last 12 days, on the road in Toronto, come home, other side of the country, have another statement victory against the BC Lions, come back home, play another unbeaten team as twice in five or six days, but they played 
uh, teams that were unbeaten plus a road game, a very emotionally charged road game against the former teammates. Like, there were a lot of questions about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the first three games. Oh, they didn't play anybody, you know, reputable. Well, BC, they pretty well dominated. Calgary, they pretty well had that under control uh, outside of maybe a, a few snippets where where it could have gotten away from them. But to me, that I think the Bombers answered a lot of questions here the last 12 days about just how legit they are. And to me, and I, I know that it's going to sound like, you know, being a homer here, but the truth is the Blue Bombers are still the class of the CFL at this moment in time. And there's just that expectation of Calgary or any other team here. Winnipeg is about here. And it just goes to show that you need a mere perfect game. And and, and I think that's with the best team in any league. Uh, you need a mere perfect game to beat the best team in, a, in any league, uh, whether that's CFL, NFL. Uh, so I just wanted to commend uh, – I just wanted to commend. Uh, I just wanted to commend the Blue Bombers because winning two, three games in twelve is not easy to do. I uh, could see the championship pedigree sticking out. Uh, Hussey's huddle got onto my next point, and uh, everybody was wondering who was going to replace uh, who was going to replace uh, Nick Dempsey in the lineup. Everybody thought it was Brandon O'Leary Orange. Um, and then we find out he goes on the sixth game. And now we have Carlton Adadosi. Is that even close? Adosi? Agadosi. Adadosi. Uh, come in and have six or seven catches for just about 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns, uh, both of which were not easy catches to make. Um, you know, he was going up and going to get at least one of them. Uh, the second one, you know what? You, you throw that up there and the guy is six foot six and he's going on a five foot ten or six foot one defensive bat. You know, if that ball was thrown at that height, sure enough, go up and get it. But I just want to give some love, if it's okay, to the Blue Bombers scouting staff. Um, just absolutely remarkable because people are not talking about the number of injuries at least loud enough that the Blue Bombers have and I can remember a time and Ryan you and I know this very well we try to out, and we're not that far removed from this one guy goes out and it's like everything kind of breaks right and then you just that guy back in and it's finally back to normal all of the injuries aside, uh, I just wanted to give some love to the scouting staff for seemingly plugging and playing a lot of these guys uh, to, to their success uh, as well. And and the scouting staff is a big reason, along with the coaches, uh, for putting them in there. I mean, they, they found Dalton Schoen, who, you know, may be a front runner for, for the uh, rookie of the year, although I'd uh, Ducey might have something to say about that if he's on pace for two touchdowns for every game the rest of the year. But it's what separates the good teams from the great teams. 
is these depth guys would fill in when guys are injured uh, and have success. Um, I don't even know who I'm throwing to here. I think it might be Adam. Um, just, just your thoughts on, or what, what if you can, can, uh, can take this on? It doesn't seem to matter who. But have the Bombers answered your questions as far as the, the credits that say, well, you beat Ottawa twice. You know, okay, Ottawa's Ottawa. You know, you're 3-0, and you're going to Toronto. Have, have the credits in that regard kind of been silenced? And I guess the B part to my question is, what is the next step for this Blue Bomber team? You want to go first, Ron? Yeah, sure. I can go first. I love talking about uh, the Bombers and their success. It's a good time. Uh, I think I enjoy it more than Adam does. So, um, you know, a couple of things I want to mention on this game. You know, I was pretty, first of all, I was pretty hard on Calgary. Despite all of that, they came very close to tying this game and, you know, taking it to overtime or whatnot. So credit to Calgary, credit to Winnipeg. This was a fantastic football game. You know, I've been a season ticket holder ever since the Bombers moved to the new stadium here back in 2013, you know, counting roughly, probably seeing, what, 80, 90 games live. That's just quick math in my head. And uh, I would rank this maybe in one of the, as one of the top 10 ones I've seen live. This was a fantastic football game between two heavyweights going head-to-head here. And you want to talk about the Bombers and where they go next and what they do next? You know, it's almost like you, you ever play Madden and you, you win the championship two seasons in a row. Then you start your next season. You start winning a lot of football games. Then you kind of get bored with it. So you play around with the cheat codes. Remember when you could put cheat codes in on football games? And you put this cheat code in for a literal skyscraper at wide receiver called Carlton Agadosi, who comes in and you talked about these being, <laughs> you talked about these being tough catches, Mike. He just stood up there and grabbed the ball over top of the defenders, like over top of the defender. They were they were beautiful catches, but he made them look easy. And that just seems to be a new thing that the Bombers now have in their offense. And I'm interested to see what the lineup looks like because you certainly can't take them out now. And it's just interesting to see the breath of fresh air between these new faces, whether it's Greg Ellingson who came in. Fantastic game from him. He's another cheat code, arguably, because he can throw the ball in quadruple coverage, and somehow he's coming down with it, it seems, in this game. And Schoen had a bit of a step back this one, but Carlton Agadosi stepped up. So some big plays for some from big receivers. And I think that's masking some of the other inefficiencies a little bit. The run game still hasn't been good. You know, Brady Oliveira, nine carries for eight yards. You know, Johnny Augustine, seven carries for 33. Okay, that's a little bit better. But we're back to the run game, not doing, uh, getting the job done here. We're looking at guys like Dempsey. Okay, had a good game, but got injured. Rasheed Bailey's been rather quiet this season. We expect him to step up. So I think you have, you know, these new guys coming in and performing well. And so far, it's masking some of the other inefficiencies in the roster. And I think that's why the team is where they're at at 6-0. and The question then becomes... Can they maintain that over the season? Or at some point, are there there are a few underlying inefficiencies. I don't think this is a perfect football club. And I think they will come to light here sooner rather than later. It's a matter of when. Adam? You know, I got to wear my green hat and uh, kind of go and bring back Mike back a little bit to earth here. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are an amazing football team right now. Zach Caleros 
has had a great season so far, has led the league in passing yards, and it's a big help when you have Greg Ellingson there, uh, absolutely catching anything that comes even within five yards of him. That always helps you a lot. That being said, this Bomber team is a beatable football team. Don't get me wrong. They haven't been yet. But Brady Oliveira has not been. Everybody has hyped him up to be at the beginning of the, or before this season. They thought that this was going to be a one-two punch in Winnipeg with Johnny Augustine and Brady Oliveira. And other than the BC game, there has not been much uh, seen of the two running backs for the Blue Bombers. The other side of the thing is the defensive line. Yes, they keep talking about Jefferson and Jaffcoat. They are in the middle of the pack right now for, uh, oh, and I think it might have frozen me. I hope it didn't. I'll give this a second here. Maybe it didn't freeze. Am I back? Audio is good? Okay, perfect. Uh, Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat are not at the top of the game at the league right now for sacks, like they have been over the last few years. Uh, uh, Adam Big Hill has had a good season, uh, but the secondary in the backfield has not had the interceptions like Winnipeg used to be having. So to me, this is a beatable football team. Uh, as much as uh, right now they're on cloud nine because they've been 6-0, and uh, all the credit in the world, you guys deserve to be 6-0. You played the Stampeders, you played the Lions, you still have to play a few other teams here, and they are going to come back and challenge you. You played them once. They got to go and they got film now on Oliveira. They've got film on the defense. And sooner or later, I think this team is going to get exposed to a team that's, let's face it, eventually when you sit there and you're the best, somebody's going to knock you down. And let's face it, last year it was the Toronto Argonauts that beat the Blue Bombers in one game. And nobody's seen that one coming. I'll tell you right now, I hope they don't go into Edmonton thinking that they're going to be 7-0 and without playing the game. Hussey Tunnel has a great comment here in the chat that, uh, you know, Calgary was right there in the game, but you got to be good to be lucky. And it uh, seems like the Bombers have that happen quite a bit, Mike. Can, can I float a quick suggestion, guys, and tell me if I'm way out to lunch here? The Bombers started running back come Labor Day. It should be Nick Dembski. I, I don't know if he's going to be healthy yet by then, by the sounds of it, but if he is might be an option i mean he's that's very that's interesting very game. interesting I, I have not heard that one yet and i kind of like it I, I because i don't want to take agadosi out of there granted it was only one game but uh we've seen Dembski involved in the run game before right so uh if you want to find a way to get him back in you'll keep your receivers the way they are interesting take there mike i like it, it. Was hey, was mike can i give you one other thing that i'm thinking here as we're talking can I give you one other suggestion though, too, Mike? Go ahead. Look at because they're going, they're trying to get a Canadian in there. You maybe bring in Kyle Borsa from the U of R and say to him, "Hey, there's yeah. an opportunity for you." Yeah, to be honest with you, and I, I think I had this discussion whether it was in this group or another group. Uh, I, I was stunned, but they let him go. Um, but uh, anyway, who, who knows? I mean. You know, we we assumed that he would let go to make room for for Craig McRae, um, knowing what we know now. But that that that's an interesting suggestion. Uh, I I just that I'm hard pressed, and this will be my final bomber comment before we move on to uh, on Atlantic and everything that happened there. Um, I'm hard pressed 
to think that this running game will be tied down all season long. Um, maybe I'm naive, but at some point, guys, this offensive line relatively the same. I know they have Chris Connor-Walchuk. I think it is at center. Uh, Michael Couture is due back at some point. I just, I'm real hard pressed, guys, to think that you're going to keep this bomber running game down for for much longer. Um, and you know what? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we're undervaluing the uh, importance of Andrew Harris. But again, like changes on that offensive line, right? Jeff Gray in for Drew Desjardins. Uh, Connor Walchuk in for Michael Couture. Uh, you know, Demarcus Hardwick looks like he's been banged up, you know, here and there uh, for, for being rolled on. But I just, like, I'm hard-pressed to think that this running game will be pinned down long-term. Uh, I, I think they're just too good to be uh, limited the way they have been. And you know what? I don't have as much of a problem as, you know, 6-0 with deficiency. It keeps this team from wanting to get – it keeps this team wanting to get better. Um, you know, if we know we have something to work on where, as if you're 6-0 and, and everything's smooth, you tend to take things a little easier. I think mean, this is a team that knows they're an imperfect football team. It motivates them to become better. And that is – just to deal with that secondary really quickly, this is the secondary that doesn't have Brandon Alexander in the lineup yet. So there, there's something to be said about that, too. Uh, is, is it a perfect system? Oh, for sure not. But I think it's a motivated football team that wants to continue to get better. And I think that's all we can ask. Will they go 16-0? and I hope so. But the logic suggests that they will not. And I agree. I look... I know I'm not on the show on Wednesday, but guys, I think Edmonton's going to win that game this Friday. I just, it's that trap game written all over it. You want my hot take? There it is. Uh, let's quickly talk about touchdown Atlanta. Uh, that quite nicely, uh, just from an atmosphere perspective, guys, this looks like the great top. Uh, I've been at two great tops, one in Winnipeg. Uh, one in Calgary certainly looked comparable. Um, and, you know, as much as we gripe about um, wanting big crowds at CFL games, this to me showed that CFL games can work in smaller stadiums in the right type of scenario. Uh, to me, the atmosphere in this game was second to none. But what I didn't like, Adam, were the antics that were ensued uh, with this game uh, led off in the pregame warm-up by the helmet swinging Duke Williams on one of the articles. Now, fair warning, we have not seen anything but may have premeditated that. Uh, we only see, or at least I only have seen you take the helmet and swing at the Ardo tie. But Adam, and you and I had this discussion, um, you and I had this discussion uh, off camera here or off of the feed before the show started. This is a Saskatchewan team that's hosting the Great Cup, but yet 
has all the pressure in the world to get there, but yet they seem to be playing as individuals, I think, to put it politely, instead of a team. Uh, they looked so undisciplined at points, um, and there were multiple penalties and uh, but were unnecessary from the riders in this game. Uh, there was a deadly interception from Cody Fajardo inside the three-minute uh, warning, but I'm still trying to figure out why he put that ball in the air and what exactly he saw. But on the field, off the field, it has to be unsettling for a fan like you, Adam, to know that you're hosting Canada's biggest party. The pressure is to get there. You've done this before at home, winning the Great Cup at home. What What is it going to take for this team to get out of a funk? I know they're 4-2, and two, but like this is the team. But I don't want to say it's in shambles, but it's very unhappy with themselves and seem to be lacking leadership. When your leaders go swinging helmets in the pregame, and your coach is seemingly left to answer for everything when some of this, I feel, goes up above him, and yet the ones above the coach are quiet. What do you make of that? Are, are we making too much of this? Or I guess I'm just wondering where you sit as a fan and you watch, and you're wearing that rider hat, but I'm sure you have a lot of the same questions that we do when it comes to a team that we've seen is so talented, but for lack of a better term, can't seem to get out of its own way at points. Well, Ryan, I think you're going to want to park this one because I got a little bit of a rant coming for rider fans and for the riders organization. Guys, this is going to be a, let's face it, we all know that the pressure's on Saskatchewan. We always do. Anytime you're either in Winnipeg or in Saskatchewan, Winnipeg's been winning a lot of games. Saskatchewan, anytime you lose a game, the world is coming apart. Everybody needs to be fired, and we need to get this gone. But you know what? We're 4-2. and two. That part is not the issue here in Saskatchewan. You're still a very, very good football team. You have an absolutely amazing defense. You're number one against the run. And you're a great team. But the off-field antics and the uh, penalties have to stop in Saskatchewan. You cannot swing a helmet. I can't believe for myself that that wasn't an instant uh, ejection from off of Duke Williams. We've seen in the NFL uh, a Cleveland Brown player literally take his helmet and swing it at Mason Rudolph of the Pittsburgh Steelers and take four games. Where is the punishment here is, is, is this? And then the Ryder fans are like, well, but Shaq, Evan, or Shaq Richardson said something to him. Who cares what he said to him? You can't swing your helmet. Plain and simple. The other thing that's bugging me here is, uh, Ryder fans, you got to look at this in a bigger perspective than with a green hat on. you got to look at this as a league thing. The, the one that I really was driving me nuts here for the last two days was the call on Oakville, or lack of a call, uh, on that Cody Fajardo got twisted up a little bit. Don't consider that the same play as Garrett Marino's. That is absolutely a different play whatsoever. The guy wanted to absolutely injure a player. In the CFL, those are your amazing guys in the league as your, as your quarterbacks. Those are the ones that bring the money into the team. You can't go out in injuring players. 
The other thing also is in Saskatchewan, I've been hearing this talk of, oh, well, Cody Fajardo goes, gets back up. He's fine. He's fine. No, he isn't. He's very, very hurt right now. The guy is on the verge of probably missing the remainder of this season. And yet Saskatchewan fans seem to think, eh, who cares? You know what? If he's done, Saskatchewan's done. It's as simple as that uh, right at the moment. And if Saskatchewan fans can't figure out, and I'm, I'm doing my best not to make this over PG. Uh, PG. So, guys, you got to look at this team and you got to say, are we going to tolerate a team of people just being idiots on the field or off the field, uh, allegedly spitting at players? Again, allegedly, I said, because there still hasn't been evidence of it. But when it's two times in a row, the guy's getting called on this. Probably where there's smoke, there's fire. So you know what? And if that's your leader, the guy that does that, you've got some serious problems in Ryderville. Again, four and two puts a lot of uh, lipstick over a lot of stuff. But in the end, the team and uh, Craig Dickinson, Jeremy O'Day, and Craig Reynolds need to sit down and say, is this what we want for Ryder Nation? If it is, well, then I guess that's what they want. But if it isn't and the fans say something about this, it can change. But the fans need to actually step up and say something instead of going and just ignoring it, essentially, because, oh, well, we're four and two. Right? I mean, I don't know how I follow that up. I think that was uh, I think that was great, Adam. Uh, <laughs> wow. I love the rant. Excellent rant on that one. And I agree with a lot of what you said about it. And, you know, you talk about the four and two record and, you know, there's always so much pressure on Saskatchewan. Great Cup hosting year, there's extra pressure. The quality of the West Division right now, extra pressure, definitely on top of that, I think, as well. So uh, it's all the makings of a pressure cooker. And it seems like they're cracking a little bit under the pressure right now. You know, it's one week after another, an incident after another. Like, you have Duke Williams uh, supposedly for two in this game, the helmet swinging pregame. You have supposedly the spitting incident during the game. Like, get it under control. I don't know who who needs to be the one to get it under control. You know, uh, is it the coach? Is it the manager? Well, the coach, I don't trust him right now to get it under control because we saw how Coach Dickinson responded to the Garrett Marino situation last week, which I don't think was the, the proper way to respond to that either. So, you know, whereas we could be talking about a great four and two football team right now that, you know, has as good of a shot as anybody to go on to play in the home Grey Cup and take the Grey Cup home this year. That's zero percent of what we're talking about around the riders these days is all we're talking about is one controversy after another around this team. It seems one issue after another. And yeah, that builds up on a fan base that builds up on a league fan base. I think I think there's been a lot of, you know, hostile hostility uh, around the CFL fandom towards one another from a lot of the incidents uh, lately. And, and it just puts a negative stamp on the game when you see all of this. Like, this was a fantastic weekend of football. Four great games, you know, great endings to football games. I don't want to be talking about some of these things. Unfortunately, we have to because they happen and they're definitely a play an impact in the game and in the play of their teams. But cut the crap out and let's enjoy the football that we want to see out there, right? And uh, that that's my take on this as well, much like Adam's here. I want to talk about the actual football game between these two teams here, though, because this, Mike, was a great game. It was a great game. And if I did just add one thing, 
I am a TV executive. Um, I'm a TV executive. I work with leads to put on products, uh, games, products, same thing. If I'm TSN, I'm this close to having a word with the CFL about protecting its star players. TSN pays a lot of money to broadcast these games. They deserve to have their star players protected. They deserve to have the star players on top of the fans coming to the stadium to watch these games. Deserves to have them in games. There needs to be a solution to these problems. I don't know what the solution is. But if I'm a TV partner, I'm looking at this coin. You need to figure out your problem. Whatever it is you need to do to keep star players in the game. I understand players get hurt. It happens. But but you can't control players getting hurt via unnecessary cheap shots. Anyway, that's my rant. I just want to I just want to throw the comment in there. I put it up on the screen. Cat yeah. watch, cat watching over on Twitch makes a, sums this up. Well, what does all this show an eight year old who looks up to them? The CFL is about trying to bring in new fans, and actions like this do not help one bit with yeah. any of that. I, absolutely, it, 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 uh, it just makes the fans like. Let's face it, it's a good thing right now the NFL is not on because that would have been on. Come on, man, we would have looked like fools in the American side of things again because of things like this. A 12-year-old that's just starting football goes and sees somebody get a helmet swung at him. He's going to go and say, do I want to play this game? Like, yeah. seriously, guys, this needs to stop in Saskatchewan. Uh, again, you think there's guys in Saskatchewan that are with green-covered uh, glasses that absolutely will just look at this as, oh, well, the league's picking on Saskatchewan. No, they aren't. They are not doing anything stupid to pick on Saskatchewan this time. Uh, it's Saskatchewan doing dumb things. And unfortunately, until this improves, there is going to be a, an upset fan base in Saskatchewan. Might not be probably be about three quarters of them, and the quarter of them will be the die are the real alleged diehards that think that this is okay. But three quarters of us know that this is not good. We don't want to see a quarterback out. Let's face it. Now Ottawa doesn't have a quarterback. All of a sudden, Calgary has to play him twice. Winnipeg has to play him again, and BC has to play him again. Those could have been potential wins for Ottawa. Now all of a sudden you got no quarterback. So does that help Saskatchewan? Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll stop ranting and let's get to this game, eh? Do we talk about the Argos here maybe a little yeah, bit? Yeah, guys? you know what? Let's, let's do that. That's exactly where I was going to go. Uh, I thought this was one of the better efforts from the Argos of the season. Uh, back and forth. Uh, when it looked like Cody Fajardo, and I'm going to spin right to the fourth quarter because I, I, I think that's, where the drama in this game was, uh, the Ardos looked like they were going to lose the game. Cody puts up two touchdowns. Uh, Riders are up quite easily until the last three minutes when there's a pit sits return. But it's everything that goes on around it. I am convinced that I saw Toronto might be the best team in the East in this game. There was a lot of talking about, oh, the East can't beat the West. There's 16-1 and one or something coming into this game. And the, the Ardos had a great chance to stick 
with the Riders and the Demons deal with in the last three minutes, which they did. Now, one could argue maybe that ball shouldn't have been thrown where it was, but it was. And Toronto made a good play, and they ran back in the interception, and then they made a very, very good play up for themselves at the end of the game. This is the Ardle team that everybody wants to see. The Ardles showed me that they might be, contrary to what the standings show, the best team in the East. When Andrew Harris gets held to 50 yards or something of that nature, pretty darn close to it, and you still put up 30 points, that's impressive. We finally maybe saw McLeod Bethel Thompson mature before our own eyes and eliminate the turnovers that have been ailing him where it seems to be that one untimely interception which seems to always sink the Argonauts. No pun to their actual boatman model. But this is what I'd like to see from the Ardles. Definitely something to work with here. They were in another game. One could argue that they could be at another win against Winnipeg. They made a point after it goes to overtime. They probably have the momentum in that game. The Ardles are the best team in the East, as far as I'm concerned, until proven otherwise. Now, this next game we're going to talk about is the polar opposite to what Winnipeg and Calgary won. But, hey, the Ardles are making a case for fans to come out and watch their games. So, Toronto, you better go and do it. But the best team in the East. And I'm not even sure it's very close at this point in time. Uh, what did you see from the Ardles there, Adam? You know, I've seen a team that's playing desperate, and they're playing very good as when they are desperate. Uh, I'm quitting McManus, a beautiful pick on uh, Cody Vajardo running that back for a pick six and winning the game on that. Uh, just a very good game from the Toronto Argonauts. I mean, let's face it. The thing I loved most about this for the Argos is Andrew Harris didn't do a whole lot in this game. Yet they still were well in this game the whole time. I I think uh, Mittens Jr. I think had 97 or uh, so yards, if I'm not mistaken here. I'm just taking a quick look because I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, uh, nope, 39 yards. Cameron Phillips had a big game. That's who it was. Uh, he had a good game. McBell Bethel Thompson, I want to check if there's such a thing as performance-enhancing lobsters because every time this guy goes out to Atlantic Canada, has an amazing game. Uh, let's face it, I hope that Atlantic Canada, when they get a uh, franchise, hopefully their number one draft pick is McLeod Bethel Thompson because he always looks good out in touchdown Atlantic. Uh, no, the Argonauts had a very good game here. Their defense looked really good against a uh, uh, Saskatchewan offensive line that really looked confused at times. Uh, and I don't know why that is because all their usual starters, minus, you know, Dan Clark, were in. Uh, I mean, they were getting two-man pressure on at points on the Rough Riders. And the other thing also to give full credit to is the Toronto Argonauts offensive line. Yes, I know A.C. Leonard was not in this game. Milligan was not in this game. And there was a few other pieces for Saskatchewan. Of course, Garrett Moreno's out. And uh, Charleston Hughes couldn't dress because he was uh, on the one-game injured list. Uh, but you know what? Saskatch they stopped the Saskatchewan defensive line. Uh McLeod Bethel Thompson had a pile of time back there. I mean, when you have seven seconds at times in the backfield, you're going to make plays. 
I just want to bring this up really quick as well, just at the end of that game. Saskatchewan used Trey's theory at the end of games with two minutes left instead of starting to throw it up. I mean, yes, Jacob Prawl was open on the first one. He wasn't clearly open on the second one because they read that one clear as a bell, McManus, and ran that back. You had an option to go and run the football with Jamal Morrow, burn a pile of time off the clock, and make Toronto earn every uh, yard with a very good defense. So, Saskatchewan, run the football, please. You know you can do it, right? Yeah, you know, for Toronto, I, I got to say, back preseason, we had a discussion. Who are we most excited to see in an Argos uniform? Or maybe it was going into week two because they had the week one bye. And all of our talk was, is it A, Andrew Harris, B, Brandon Banks. I think we threw Jagarrett Davis in there. We talked about McLeod Bethel-Thompson as a starter. I think everybody was sleeping on perhaps their best addition of all this offseason, Winton McManus, who has been stellar. You know, go back. He hasn't played in the CFL since I think it was 2019. He had something like 86, 95 tackles that season with Calgary, bounced around the NFL a little bit. All of a sudden, quietly came over to Toronto this offseason. He's made some big plays, and he made a big one late in this game. So I got to give him credit for that. And uh, the, the Argos don't get enough love for that move there. And it proved key in this game. And it's fun. You know, like you mentioned, Andrew Harris didn't have a huge game in this one. Brandon Banks, also a new addition. You know, three catches, 10 targets, 24 yards. But then you have guys like Cam Phillips, who were trying to get in and out on the roster last season. Now he's gotten himself in a starting role this year. Goes six for six, 94 yards and a touchdown. Like, to me, it's fun. Yes, it's cool to see you know, them bring in a lot of these big veteran pieces. But I like seeing the younger guys uh, make their way into the lineup and step up a little bit here for the Argos as well. So uh, kudos on that one as well. And still really don't know what to make of them this season with Toronto because, uh, well, they had two buys already. They had the game against Montreal that they only won because Montreal missed the late field goal. Then they had the game against Winnipeg that they only lost because they missed the late field goal. Then they had the blowout loss to BC. Now they had a strong win over Saskatchewan. Do I know what to make of Toronto as we go into our week six, seven preview on Wednesday night? No, it will be... Uh, I have no idea what to expect from them in that game, but we'll get to it more so then. Uh, any final thoughts, Mike, on the Argos, or uh, you want to move on to the next game here? I hate to repeat myself, so I think it's just best that we move on. I, there's not too bad. I said, uh, this one is the Battle of the Basement, our final game. Uh, it was pretty exciting. Uh, between Hamilton and Toronto. Hamilton picking up the win uh, to the tune of 25-23. Ottawa missing a late last-minute, last-second field goal, which to me at first glance didn't miss by all that much. Uh, I mean, it just went under the crossbar. Um, but really, how we got here uh, is quite something, guys. Um uh, you know, it wasn't quite Nick Arbuckle's debut. He was acquired earlier in the week uh, to be presumably the number one. So they went uh, with a guy that had been there uh, last year who had a couple starts. Uh, Hamilton doing musical chairs at quarterback uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, seeing Matthew Shelton for a drive before uh, Dane Evans leads them all the way down the field. 
to me, the most of this drama that has happened inside the last five minutes, and despite it being two winless teams, everybody makes this joke about basement bowl, loser bowl, you know, stay out of last place bowl. I was fairly entertained with the last five minutes and everything that kind of happened, uh, especially having that a kid return kind of set up that field goal attempt. Uh, and then Hamilton, you think they're down and out. Uh, and, and then they made that, made, you know, the decision. Uh, Schultz can't get the points down near the end zone there, uh, which, you know, opens the door to potentially a controversy. And that's why we see Dane Evans come in. And maybe that was a motivating factor. I'll leave that for you guys to decide. Um, I don't know who we want to talk about here first, but it seems to me like a story of painful losses that continue for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, they look like they're in control of this one. They let it slip away, yet they had a chance. Right at the end, they were about 10 yards uh, too far. I would argue 10 yards closer, they probably win the game. Uh, I don't know if that's smart logic or not, but just another painful lack of results, um, frustrating loss. I'm trying to come up with narratives here, Ryan, to discuss another Red Blast loss that looks a lot similar to losses of the previous past when it comes to, when it comes to Ottawa, um, at some point, somebody has to make the play, Ryan, to, to 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 get him a victory, regardless of who their quarterback was. And I didn't think he played all that bad. Um, but again, it's another loss and more questions in our nation this week, Ryan. Yeah, it, I did definitely with all of their all overhauling they did this offseason, I did not expect Ottawa to be winless at this point coming out of week six. Like that surprises me a ton that they are where they are at right now. Um, yeah, you're in tough. You lose Jeremiah Mazzoli. Agreed. I didn't think Caleb Evans played that bad. We saw him do what we kind of expected, which was an average passing game, 60%, 200 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. And then he ran for 62 yards and two scores there as well. That's about what I would expect uh, from uh, Caleb Evans in a game. They had some guys step up, you know, Jalen Acklin, uh, 118 yards and a touchdown. He's definitely the leading receiver out there in Ottawa, and he's showing it here in this game. But again, not much going for William Powell in the run game, like 13 carries, 28 yards when your quarterback in Caleb Evans has more than double of that. That, that concerns me a little because it shows, well, there's the ability to run, but why is Powell not getting the yardage? Maybe the plays he's being used in aren't there. Maybe it's Powell himself at this point in his career. I don't know. But uh, that's not helping you out offensively. And then, you know, but at the end of the day, the Red Blacks are in this one right till the end. It seems like maybe they're going to go out and win this one. And then, uh, well, Hamilton pulls it out here right at the end of the game with the touchdown to uh, to pull ahead here on this one. So just slipping away through the fingers of Ottawa and uh, seems like a tale we see each and every week of games they've played decently well. They've gotten close in, but they can't pull out the win here. They're still looking for their first. Adam? 
You know, I think Hussey's uh, hustle had a good point, or Huddle had a good point the other day. Uh, or a little bit ago here on the uh, chat that said that good teams, you got to be lucky to be good and good to be lucky. Well, in Ottawa's case, it just seems to be the opposite. Good teams win uh, close football games. Uh, teams that are just not that great are find ways to lose football games. And the Ottawa Red Blacks, don't get me wrong, I thought at the beginning of the season they were going to be quite a little bit better. Uh, Again, you look at what William Powell has done, and Chris, you just made a great point uh, saying it wasn't the reason that Powell left the Riders was he said he wasn't getting the football enough. Well, even in Ottawa, I don't think he's getting the football very much. Uh, if you take a look here, he gets 13 touches on this game, which is a little bit more than he has had for the whole year so far, but not very much as well. In the Battle of the Evans here in, this, in the Evans Bowl in this game, uh, I mean... Chris Evans, uh, you gotta, or uh, sorry, Caleb Evans, you gotta have a better game than just fifty percent or sixty percent completion. Uh, if you're gonna win football games, you gotta be better than that. This being said, though, I hope that they don't rush Nick Arbuckle in because of this. He needs time to develop and get the book down and be ready to go. I know that you're you're desperate for a win, Ottawa, but you're only one game out of second place in the East. As crazy as that sounds. Uh, don't rush him in. Try to build this up. Make sure that he's got a little bit of chemistry with some of his receivers during practice and uh, then get him in. I mean, Jalen Acklin is, is still a very good receiver. Nate Bahar is also a great receiver as well. And plus, Jack Johnson is even on that team. They've got the tools around them. They just need to get developing a little bit. And uh, yeah, the defense, I think, is more of an issue in Ottawa. But you know what? I, I Let's face it. If you're just one of those teams... Sometimes you got to be a battle like Brian and you just find ways to lose, unfortunately. Uh, Mike? You, met, you mentioned, uh, sorry, I want to jump in here because you mentioned Chris Evans. Maybe that's the trick. Maybe you got to bring in Captain America. Maybe that's how Maybe that's how you do it here if you're Ottawa. That's how you turn this around. Well, Chris Evans, maybe you make a trade for Shaq Evans. I don't know. you got to find another Evans, maybe. That might be the help for uh, that Ottawa needs to get over this hump. My my mouse was stuck there. Um, did we learn anything about Hamilton but could suggest that this is kind of their way out of the hole, which isn't very deep as far as you look at a home playoff game. I think they're tied for a home playoff game. I understand is now with Montreal. Um, is there anything to suggest that this might be that step in the right direction for Hamilton? Or is this just extremely sloppy and they were lucky to win a battle of between two teams that you have to wonder at points uh, weren't necessarily... It was not like anybody really wanted this win. Uh, it at least came out and state claimed the victory pretty easily. Where are we on Hamilton? I mean, I, I understand Dane Evans' statistics and getting pulled. And is this the one that turns the season around for Hamilton? I'm not sure. I, I wrestled with this one since Saturday, Ryan, whether this is the game that turns Hamilton's season around. The plus side is they got a lot of divisional games coming up. So you win a couple of those, you're right back in the discussion for first and ease or a home playoff game. But Hamilton, to me, just hasn't put it together that says, 
that tells me anyway that there didn't come out of it. How do you see it? Yeah, you know, full disclosure on this one, I had a jam-packed weekend. I did not get a chance to watch this game. So so my take on, you know, this performance by the Ticats, I'm going off the play-by-play. I'm going off the highlights. I'm going off the box score on this one. I'd have to review the full game footage. Um, to me, nothing really stands out to me as different than from what we've seen from Hamilton thus far, right? Like, Sure, Dane Evans throws 75%, almost 350 yards, throws two touchdowns, but we saw him do that against Calgary, uh, and they still found a way to lose that football game. Don Jackson comes in. We're excited to see him get the start. All 11 carries, 34 yards. Not a whole lot going there. Sure, they used the run game, but not effectively necessarily in this one. Uh, we've seen guys like Tim White step up, Stephen Dunbar step up. Uh, you know, we've seen that a lot throughout this season. Like, I don't think Hamilton showed us a whole ton here that we haven't seen thus far this season, other than, you know, getting it done late finally, right in this game. They found a way to get the win out of here. And yeah, that's a thing you can rally off of. So do I necessarily think that the way they played in this game is is a a turning point for them? No. Do I think a win and a slew of uh, divisional matchups coming up could be? Yeah, because you take this win, then you build it on another, another, another. You know, we're getting close to, I guess, uh, Labor Day is still a couple of weeks away or two months away, kind of at this point, month and a half. You play Toronto four times in five weeks, I think it is, if you're Hamilton or something like that. Like, that's going to be a lot of matchups. That, to me, is the big one here for the Cats. So not a whole lot from that I saw differently from them here, uh, Adam. You know, uh, Hussey just actually asked a great point question. Um Ottawa, Montreal, Hamilton, which one do you guys have the most confident in right now Because out of those teams? Because one will probably ultimately make the playoffs here. Uh, To me, I'm going to give you a reason why it's not Hamilton. And it's not on the offensive side of the ball. As much as they're last in rushing by almost 100 yards, it's not that. Their defensive line has been terrible so far this season. You've got nine quarterback sacks, absolutely terrible not acceptable when every other team is in multiple uh, sacks right now. I think uh, Toronto has 10. Yeah. Toronto Edmonton have 10. Hamilton has nine. Uh, Not good. They're right at the bottom of the league on that. The turnover ratio, negative 11. You got to start turning that ball over. If you're Hamilton, negative 11 is not going to win you a lot of football games. Uh, With that being said, eight of those are fumbles lost and, Nine of those were interceptions. Just not a very good season so far on that for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, Paired that with their rushing game, I just don't see very much stuff coming good for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, even though they win this game against Ottawa. And let's face it, we could also put even an asterisk beside it because somebody I hope took a picture of Lewis Ward missing a field goal. That don't happen very often. So Hamilton, yes, congratulations. You got your first win of the season you better start working on that defensive line and the defense because this is going to be a long season for you. It don't matter who you have in quarterback. If it's Dane Evans or if it's Matthew Schiltz, uh, you're going to have a long season ahead of you if you can't get that defense to go uh, the way that it needs to start going. So anyway, uh, yeah, like I said, the uh, hopefully the Ticats can improve on that a little bit. If they do, maybe they can change things around. And I mean, Let's face it. Again, you're right in the thick of things for second place right now in the uh, in the East, and I mean, so is Ottawa. So you never know what can happen here. 
and I guess uh, the the uh, wheat will get separated from the chaff here pretty quick. Always love a good farming reference there. Got to throw them in where you can, right? Uh, let's move on. Uh, great week again, once again in the CFL this week. So much we've had to talk about that we're an hour and 20 minutes into this and we've just gotten through recapping the four games because there's been a lot to chat about. But let's move on to some of our other segments here. Let's take a look at how we did on our picks and in our fantasy leagues this week. And, well, week five was a bit of a disaster in the picks against the spread. But, boy, did we have a good comeback here in week number six. Of course, if you don't know, every Wednesday night we do our weekly preview. Adam, myself, and Trey Kolbeck, who's not here tonight. Uh, we, uh, as part of that, we make our picks against the spread. This week, I went three and one on the week. I got Edmonton at plus nine, Winnipeg at minus four, Ottawa at plus seven, all correct. Did get Saskatchewan at minus 2.5, incorrect. Uh, Adam also had the same as me, so we both went three and one on the week. Uh, I improved to 12 and 11. Adam improved to 13 and 10. And shout out to our resident betting expert, Trey, who uh, put up a massive 4 and 0 week. Uh, all four right. Uh, he gets the moniker, the betting expert for the reason. Uh, 4 and 0 week, 13 and 10 on the season. Shout out, Trey. Congrats to you, sir on the picks for this week. Meanwhile, in the CFL podcast Fantasy League, uh, Trey was facing uh, adults from Rouge Radio, did pick up a win and proved to 3-3 three and three on the season. Adam, you did fall to Joe Pritchard from Rouge White and Blue. Uh, you fall to 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Close matchup with the defending champ there for yourself. Uh, what did you think of that one? You know, I just actually overall had a poor week. I mean, I uh, just couldn't get much going. Keon Schaefer-Baker gave me a few points, and that was a nice thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I expected more out of uh, Malik Henry and out of a few other guys on my team. I know I went uh, went a little crazy. I added Cody Fajardo at the end there uh, uh, and changed up some things into there. Frankie Hickson got me, what, nothing. I mean, he got 10 yards, I think, the whole game. So, uh, so that didn't help me any. I mean, I gambled a little bit with that one. Uh, definitely Jamal Morrow was the better pick on that. And let's face it, one pick, and I probably would have beaten Joe. But uh, all the power to him. He beat the, the better man one. And uh, finally, in the uh, the Battle of the Ryans and the Battle of Winnipeg and Calgary, Winnipeg won twice this week because I did take down Ryan from Horseman Radio. Uh, I had the highest score on the week here, boys, and I'm sitting pretty at 6-0 and on the season. And, you know, if you if you need help with your fantasy lineup, I like to say, you know, come listen to our Wednesday night shows. You'll find out why, for example, $2,500 Kyle Oxley is the ideal quarterback play when he ends up putting up 20 points on the board. That, of course, was the big play for my lineup. Also, Greg Ellingson, a massive week there. So, yeah, pretty pumped about that week for myself. Uh, of course, you can follow all of the fantasy results at, at CFL Pod Fantasy on Twitter and check out all of the other great CFL podcasts involved there as well. Now we get over to our. So, this means, uh, Ryan, that uh, you go to the uh, preview show for uh, Ryan's uh, fantasy picks. You go to uh, for the bets, you go and get trade for that stuff. And if you need to know how to grow hay, you listen to me. <laughs> No, we, we come for the storylines you bring, Adam. The rants, the storylines, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. And, of course, your fantasy picks and your uh, picks against the spread as well. Lots of fun on our weekly previews. Check that out if you haven't thus far. Our little fantasy league, we did a draft preseason, uh, and uh, we've been setting our lineups each and every week. This week, I took the top score there as well with 92 points. 
Uh, Mike, you came in second at 81.8. Uh, what did you make of your week this week uh, in your fantasy lineup? It's just interesting. It's interesting, but we'll never know because Mike <laughs> dropped out of the call. <laughs> it's interesting, but uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys feel the same way about fantasy, uh, whether it's your 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 other lead or our lead. It just seems like it's really difficult for guys to have back to back good weeks. Like I've tried multiple times. To run back some variation of the same lineup, um, even though I had the high score last week, uh, tried to bring back most of that lineup with a few tweets minus the buy. It's very hard to get back-to-back successive efforts from the same players. For example, if Dalton Schoen had a good week, Grimes uh, was on a buy, but this week Schoen was rather quiet. Augustine was rather quiet. It's just interesting how it seems like every week a different guy steps up, and it's hard to get that consistent effort fantasy-wise from, you think, oh, you know, you're going to run, you run the same lineup back, basically, and you wind up being disappointed. Uh, I just find that really interesting how the dynamic changes from week to week. Uh, not only in our league, but in leagues in general, as guys struggle with consistency for some reason. Yeah, that's definitely something uh, I've noticed as a trend throughout the season as well when it comes to fantasy picks. And in a league like ours where you draft your team, it makes it a little bit dicey in weekly fantasy. It makes it a little bit more of a challenge there as well. Uh, Adam, you finished third this week with 77 points. Trey coming in last 68.6 season totals. Adam, you're in the lead at 571.1. I am in second at 528.8. Mike in third at 469.6. And Trey in last at 427.1. So uh, we'll see where we go into week seven and beyond and uh, see how the standings change there. Uh, Mike, should we move on over to our players of the week here? Absolutely. Uh, The most important, most exciting segment, which often leads to the most debate uh, on our uh, show and also the most different part of the show since we typically don't have the same players uh, or our uh, power rankings relatively the same. Uh, Leading us off this week for players of the week will be Adam. If you could tell us who your player of the week was and a quick rationale as to why. That would be appreciated. Well, this guy here went 4-0 this week and was an amazing pick it all around. It was actually Trey. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't you, Trey. Uh, Sorry. But, uh, you know, I hope you're enjoying your evening. I had Greg Ellingson. And, I mean, let's face it, Greg Ellingson has been absolutely dynamite so far for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, First game, maybe he wasn't so diehard. But these last three weeks, I mean, he's just been absolutely incredible out of the backfield. Uh, or just out of the uh, field for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This week, no exceptions. 11 catches, 14 targets, 152 yards. Just a big season so far for Greg Ellingson, and he's doing a very good job of causing a lot of fans in Winnipeg to say, Kenny who? Yeah, it's also interesting that players like Greg Ellington, Dalton Schoen, and my player of the week, Colton 
Adajasi. I'm going to pronounce that name right at some point. Uh, Sith catches on seven targets, 70 yards. What was impressive to me wasn't necessarily that, but his ability to get two touchdowns. And to kind of piggyback off of Adam's comment, Ellington is the CFL's leading receiver coming into this week. It's interesting how the Bombers have gone about uh, mitigating or sharing the losses or sharing the loss, I guess, of Kenny Lawler. Uh, 320 grand, the reported uh, salary for Mr. Lawler in Edmonton. I think the Bombers are pretty happy with the adequate replacements that they found, led by my player, Dewey Carlton Adedrezzi. Uh, two catches in a debut, one would suggest that he would be in the lineup on Friday for the Blue Bombers at the Brickfield at Commonwealth in Edmonton with his player of the week. We pass things over to Ryan Coop. Ryan? Yeah, I'm going to Edmonton for my player of the week, and I'm going to wide receiver Kenny Lawler. Sure, Greg Ellingson has filled in nicely for him over here in Winnipeg, but that doesn't mean Lawler hasn't been contributing over in Edmonton. I don't know if he's necessarily been contributing at the $300,000 contract mark, but he had a great game in this one. Uh, seven catches, 13 targets, 92 yards, and a touchdown. You know, you compare that to Greg Ellingson's numbers, and uh, yeah, it's not as big, but you're missing one key one here for, for Lawler, and that's the number of penalties and the amount of penalty yardage he drew in this game. Uh, we talked about it earlier. You know, Wesley Sutton, uh, I think it was a uh, number of interference penalties that Waller was in the right place at the right time making plays that ended up drawing those calls. So you don't see it necessarily on the stat sheet directly beside his name, but I thought Waller was a huge piece of that. He had the game-winning touchdown for Edmonton, and I don't think they would have won this game and completed the comeback against Montreal without the effort by one. Kenny the King Waller this week. Uh, Mike, who do we have? Uh, well, Trey is not here tonight. But uh, we can take a look at Trey's Player of the Week. Yeah, sorry. For uh, Trey, yeah, he picked Dane Evans. 30, 21 out of 28, a 75% completion rate, 342 yards, two touchdowns, zero interception. To me, this is a very good performance from Dane Evans, which is why it made that one drive that Matthew Schiltz played. A little bit of a, I don't know what was going on over there. Um, but to me, Dane Evans was not the problem uh, for Hamilton this week in uh, his team's first victory. Again, he seems to be a little bit inconsistent. He had that one game which wasn't very good. He came back and had a huge game in that week. He had a down week there the following week and then kind of followed it up with this one, which is pretty good. So. Maybe a little bit more consistency from Dane Evans. And of the more norms of this week would be what the Ticats are shooting for. 21 of 28, not a very, very bad performance by any stretch. And 342 yards and two touchdowns. I think the big thing that stands out for me here, uh, I don't want to put words in, in Trey's mouth, but I, I certainly would have considered him for the fact of the last uh, column number is zero. Uh, Dane Evans did not throw an interception in this game. And I think that, that's the difference. You know, you look at it. Teams that don't turn the ball over, don't shoot themselves in the foot, win a lot of football games. And to me, Dane Evans didn't throw that. 
uh, interception but made everybody question everything. And channel more efforts like this from Dane Evans, and I think Trey and the three of us will be picking Dane Evans as the player of the week a lot more going forward. Yeah, Trey also wanted to pass on a few honorable mentions for his player of the week. Uh, number one was himself for going 4-0 in his picks this week. I uh, tried to make that his player of the week, but I said you have to choose an actual player that played this week. Uh, the other one, Andre Pru, who he uh, claimed was uh, the best ref in the CFL. And uh, I think there's an argument for that as well. And uh, if you want to get Trey's takes and all that, you can follow him on Twitter at Trey MB Harness. Uh, let's move over to our power rankings here. Uh, I guess I'm first up on the board, so I'll go first here. Uh, power rankings for this week. Uh, I've got Winnipeg at number one, undefeated. They beat Calgary, who was also undefeated. Makes sense. Uh, Calgary at number two. Even though they lost, yes, I still have them at two. I think it was a very good game, and they are still an upper echelon team. BC on the bye. I don't see any reason to move them down from number three. I think it's those three teams, and then we get you know a bit of a drop-off to the middle tier here. Move Toronto ahead of Saskatchewan because the Argos pulled out a great win here, and Saskatchewan is uh, who knows what the heck is going on on any given day over there. Uh, Edmonton moves up to number six for me. You know, they got another win this week. They've been piecing it together a little bit here and there. Uh, Hamilton to number seven. I do have Montreal down at number eight in this one, and it's because of those penalties. Uh, I didn't like the way, you know, Danny Machocha came in. They weren't disciplined. They threw the game away against Edmonton late here. I think Vernon Adams is still the better option at quarterback, and they've got him sitting on the bench here and uh, waiting. So that's why I put Montreal down at number eight. And then while Ottawa is still winless on the season at number nine. So those are my picks for power rankings this week. Uh, Mike? Yeah, let's have a display with uh, my power rankings. Starting at the top, pretty much my top five, in fact, with what Ryan has. Uh, Winnipeg, by virtue of beating Calgary and beating Calgary, doesn't deserve to move uh, down down in the standings uh, by virtue of losing to Winnipeg, which is a pretty good football team. Usually on a bye this week, they're second. Hard to justify moving them uh, despite one loss. My big jump up is Toronto. I think they showed us something. Uh, the question is, are they able to crack the top three? Not sure that's an but that's an appropriate spot based on Toronto beating Saskatchewan and getting ready for a rematch in Saskatchewan. Uh, Saskatchewan, for me, a very disappointing number five. I I had no choice but to put them here, uh, given some of the uh, the way they played against Toronto, but they could quickly rectify that ship. Uh, at home, where the Riders seemingly seem to play better this year for whatever reason, uh, both losses the Riders have this year are uh, on the road and against Eastern Conference opponents. So still unbeaten on the road when it comes to a Western opponent, although I don't believe we've gone anywhere West yet on the road. But a uh, very disappointing performance from the Riders has them out of my top uh, four for the first time this year. Uh, Montreal, you know, I, I could have slipped Montreal lower, but the penalties, like, to me, Montreal's played a lot of the year like they deserve to be in the top four. The results and the wins don't seem to bank on it. So until you start to up your track record, um, 
and start putting victories on the board, I think you're going to be at number six. This is the team in Edmonton. I had trouble placing them. I, I realized Hamilton won their first game uh, this this of the season this week, but to me, it didn't justify putting them up above a two-win Edmonton team, especially Edmonton going on the road and coming back uh, in the second half to beat Montreal. Uh, all of the questions that Edmonton has, they're finding a way to kind of hang around and get out of the basement of uh, most power rankings, which is good on them. Hamilton, I'm not at all inspired by what I saw this week, contrary to what their quarterback did, mostly on the defensive side. Uh, they are hardly the defensive judge enough, but won them the East Division uh, the last two seasons and on route to great cups. Ottawa, you know what? I had, they were in my fifth and sixth for a while. Because, you know, you could only uh, give a team uh, respect for losing close games against their opponents. But it seems to me like they're getting a step back every week uh, from the norm. Now, maybe not to be uh, entirely surprising given their situation at quarterback. But uh, being winless certainly doesn't help your chances. Uh, mind you, they are in a, in a weak East division. But as of right now, uh, this is where I have them. Is based on uh, another disappointing loss, and the loss is piling up in uh, Red Black Nation. Interested to see what Adam has for his power rankings, and he's going to present them right now. Well, if you take a look, they look very similar to somebody else's. Mike, uh, maybe got a little bit different reasons behind this, though, than you did. So, uh, number one, I mean, let's face it, to be the man, you got to beat the man. I think that's a pretty familiar quote from Ric Flair. Anyways, uh, Woo Winnipeg is number one. Uh, Calgary, number two. I think that uh, they played pretty good this week, even if it was a loss against Winnipeg. Uh, I'm interested to see what the rematch is going to look like after Calgary's bye against the Blue Bombers. Uh, BC, again, they're on a bye, so it's very hard to move them anywhere. Uh, Toronto, number four. Let's face it, respect is where respect's earned, and they did earn some respect this week. I think that the Argonauts, especially under McManus there in the backfield for the Argonauts defense, really is showing something. And McCall Bethel Thompson, again, I say it's performance-enhancing lobsters. Anyways, uh, Saskatchewan, if I could put them at number 10 uh, off-field, I would. At number 5, I guess, though, because they are 4-2 and two still, uh, they could still have number 5. Uh, Montreal at number 6. The reason they get a little bit higher of a spot than Edmonton, even though Edmonton beat them, was for this one reason, they have a starting quarterback still, and they have a backup quarterback. Edmonton, on the other hand, at number seven, does not have a consistent quarterback. Yes, you're going to win a couple games just because, you know what, shenanigans and Kai Loxley, but you're not going to win every game this way. Uh, so to me, Edmonton, you're at number seven until you can find a quarterback that you'll actually play more than one game. Uh, Hamilton? Number eight, again, they won a game, so I guess they're better than Ottawa right now. Uh, I still have real serious questions about that defense, though, in Hamilton. And Ottawa, you know what? Say somebody's got to be nine. I think that they still have a chance to be first in the East, just because that's how the East is this year. But right at the moment, yeah, no, Ottawa is over at number nine. Uh, Ryan, what did Trey think of this week? 
Well, Trey had his rankings as Winnipeg at one, BC at two, Calgary at three, Toronto at four. So a bit different than the rest of us here uh, in uh, BC ahead of Calgary on this one. Uh, and then uh, agreeing with you and Mike on the rest of the way here. Saskatchewan at five, Montreal at six, Edmonton seven, Hamilton eight, and Ottawa at nine. Uh, I would imagine for a lot of the same reasons, but again, uh, uh, reach out to Trey on Twitter at TreyMBHarness uh, if you want to hear uh, his logic behind his power rankings this week. Uh, of course, that's our power rankings. I think that pretty much does it for our week six uh, recap here. Uh, Adam, was there something else you wanted to throw in here yet? You know, the only other thing was uh, just a little bit of a talk about Touchdown Atlantic in general. Look, CFL, if you're not able to get the everything going in the East and if there's no ownership out there, and let's face it, we heard from a bunch of uh, politicians this week in Nova Scotia saying, there's no stadium here. We're not building you a stadium for 20,000, 30,000. Uh, don't expect this anytime soon. So they were pretty much putting water on top of a little bit of a heated thing on maybe possibly getting a 10th expansion franchise. This being said, I thought of a really cool idea, and I mean, I give full credit to uh, Rogue Radio over uh, our another CFL podcast network uh, partners. Uh, they had a great idea last week, uh, last night on their broadcast saying, hey, why don't we have a, some sort of like a heritage classic from the NHL, except have it as a summer series, where you go, you pick a random place, if it's Victoria, BC, if it's Saskatoon, if it's Brandon, maybe, uh Pick a random place and have a football game there. You've seen the massive, and Mike, you said it before, this felt like a great cup atmosphere out in Wolfsville just because of the crowd was loud and everything was going hard. Could you imagine 10,000 people popping into a random stadium in, anywhere in, in Canada? Let's say it's uh, Hamilton and Toronto in London. London, a great place, Mick. Uh, is it McMaster out there, Wilfrid Laurier? Sorry, I think it's Wilfrid Laurier, I think, if I'm not mistaken. How's the stadium? Guys, just on that really quickly, sorry if I touch you off, Adam. My, my internet's a little bit skewy. Oh, no uh, money aside, there would be something really cool about trying to pull off the field of dream games like baseball. Can you imagine Winnipeg, Saskatchewan? Just bear with me for a minute. In the middle of a cornfield in Saskatchewan, like it doesn't get any more prairie like than that. Uh, maybe not the Labor Day, maybe not the Banjo Bowl, but the teams have a third matchup uh, nowadays based on their schedule. Uh, it would be so cool to see the Bombers and the Riders play in the middle of a farmer's field in Saskatchewan or a cornfield like in. Uh, in the Field of Dreams movie. I mean, that I still have that Field of Dreams game on my PVR, and the players coming out of the corn in, in center field and onto the field. Guys, it's very Canadiana, and while we're at it, why wouldn't we do a game? Now, I understand that there might be concerns with this, but they did a hockey game on, uh, on uh, in Ottawa. Uh, why not do something on the grounds of the legislature here in Canada? I mean, I, I understand there's probably security concerns, but there's some pretty unique places. If you can put a hockey rink, I'm sure you can put a temporary football field. And Chris is coming about the, 
behavioral ball. <laughs> that is exactly But uh, really, why not? I mean, you go and you have a game in Fleming, Saskatchewan, which if nobody knows the geography around here, Fleming is literally right in between the Saskatchewan-Manitoba border. The 50-yard line is the Saskatchewan-Manitoba border. Or the 55-yard line, sorry, is the Saskatchewan-Manitoba border. You plan that out, and could you imagine the hype you would get from that game? And another one that you just suggested, Mike, that I really love, is, yeah, play a football game. You did a practice one time there with the Riders on Parliament Hill. Have a whole football game there. Ottawa versus Calgary, East versus West, uh, middle of the football, middle of the Parliament uh, uh, Hill. People would flock to that, and you've got some of the most unique advertising you'll ever have for the Canadian Football League. Ryan? Will you be putting in a bid next year, Adam, that bring this game to your farm? If I had the proper grass, I would probably think about this. I don't know how much players want to play on uh, alfalfa. It'd be pretty tough on their <laughs> shins, I would think. But, uh, yeah, hey, if you're looking for a play CFL, we'll figure this out. You and me talk. <laughs> All right, perfect. And while you're at it, send some of those 7-Eleven cups as part of the deal, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm still looking for my Ryder Cup. Uh, no, of course. Yeah, I agree. I, I like I like a lot of these ideas here as well, and uh, I think it could make for a fun yearly event because uh, Touchdown Atlantic looked like it was a lot of fun this week. Uh, well, lots of great things we've discussed here on the podcast tonight. Let's take a look as we begin to wrap things up here at what's coming up next. Uh, it is, let me flip this around real quick. Our Week 7 preview is Coming here Wednesday night, July 20th, 9 p.m. Winnipeg time, 8 p.m. Saskatchewan, other time zones accordingly. Uh, we'll go through our uh, top storylines for each game, best CFL fantasy picks, uh, make our picks against the spread as well. You can look forward to that. You can also next week, Monday, same time, same place, uh, our Week 7 recap. We'll do a lot of the same we did here tonight, breaking news, game recaps, players of the week, our power rankings and more. Of course, you can catch all of these shows and more live every week over on uh, YouTube. Search the Canadian Football Countdown there, facebook.com slash cfcountdownpod, on Twitter at cfcountdownpod, twitch.tv slash cfcountdownpod, and on the Game Time TV YouTube page, all made possible thanks to our presenting sponsor, Game Time TV. Learn more at facebook.com slash gametimetvmb. While you're at it, uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at CF Countdown Pod. Make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the, uh, the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well at CF Pod Network on Twitter. Uh, Mike, what you got going on these days? Where can people find what you're up to? We are fixing a URL code tomorrow. A little birdie on the street told me the new Game Time TV site for streaming and pay-per-view will be the launched at some point this week with some programming announcements to follow. Hockey fans, get excited because we are not far away from hockey season. In fact, August 12th, my friends, the earliest preseason game I've ever done, but... Uh, it's happening. Hockey in the middle of the summer. Fasten those chin straps. And you can listen on Game Time Radio. More information to follow uh, in the coming weeks, along with our programming announcements. And 
perhaps not getting too far ahead of ourselves a little bit something more stay tuned all right and uh, where can people find you on twitter to see more oh yeah yes all that drumming up the hype i forgot to mention the twitter machine i can find me on twitter at mike girl that's m-i-k-e-g-e-r-l and i just want to clarify something i am not in a dungeon i am in my studio but when you get the weather and the heat that we've had here, I have no choice but to turn these lights off. So I have a dust light shining on my face. But no, I am not in a dungeon. I am alive and well. Coming to you from the Game Time TV studios. It is just too warm in here to have any other light on. Right on, yes. Uh, it feels kind of symbolic. I don't know, having Mike in the middle with like the glow from the phone light and the darkness in the background, then Adam and I off to the side. I don't know, I like the vibes going on here. Uh, it's a good vibe. Uh, Mike is our like ringmaster in the middle here. Uh, Adam, you know, out there on the farm celebrating birthdays. What else you got going on these days here, Adam? Uh, and where can people find all that? Yeah, well, hey, if you're looking for me, you can find me at Adam Stewart one Rider fans, come at me. I know you're going to probably have a few comments for me after that little bit of a uh, rampage on you. But you know what? Hey, I want to see this team succeed just as much as you want to see this team succeed. Uh, let's face it. I mean, it's to the point where something needs to be done. Uh, we're still a good team. That's all I can say. Anyways, if you want to talk CFL, come over to Adam Stewart one uh, if you want to uh, go and check out what I've got farming stuff all the time there uh, over at Instagram, you can find me on farmer in Sask. And uh, if you really want to go and check out my farm blog, I know I've got a new subscriber for that one. And he gives it a thumbs up uh, farmer in Saskatchewan over on YouTube. It's not just a uh, name that I use over when I'm trying to troll uh, Trey. I actually do use that channel and I do have farm videos up there. So, hey, if you want to check out some farm tube, why not join me over there? Farmer in Saskatchewan, right? Yeah, you know, I, I checked it out the other day. I, I understand 0% of what I'm watching, but it's it's fun to watch either way. And it makes me realize that what half the time when you scroll the internet, you realize you understand 0% of what you're reading. But this feels a lot more wholesome. So I'm all in. Check out all the farming content. Uh, it's great fun there, uh, of course. And uh, once again, happy birthday to you, good sir. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42. That uh, starts with a K. If you want to talk CFL, you want to talk CFL fantasy. I had a good conversation with a couple folks on Twitter this week about the whole Kyle Oxley pick. He started the week as a wide receiver. Later in the week, they moved him to quarterback. So different lineup variations paid off for you if you put them in your lineup so of course if you want to talk any of that stuff you can find me there uh, uh appreciate all, everybody who's joined us live tonight all the great comments in the chat we've had a lot of fun with all of that and uh shout out to you if you're listening at we're watching after the fact as well whatever podcast platform you're listening on we appreciate it. if you do all the fun things such as like comment subscribe rate review share the show with your friends help us grow the show we always appreciate that and on behalf of our panel here this evening, Michael Garrell, Adam Stewart, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.